oftentimes, uh, some of my young kids that learn phonics, they can read the text, but they don't know what many of those words mean. So there has to be a, a level of interpretation behind reading, not just reading. And then this term, exegesis, the process of discovering the original meaning of the biblical text. So it's bringing out, right? We're uh, exegeting. And the opposite of that, what's the opposite? Exegesis. Which is? What I think it's We're putting meaning into, right? We're bringing something in and saying, I think this is what it means by placing it inside it, right? Instead, we want to exegete and bring that meaning out, right? Any thoughts uh, uh, as we get ready to talk about those terms? Familiarity, have you heard those terms, used those terms? I think in general, um, these are just helpful for just interpreting anything, like the Constitution. Like, do you read something into it or even mm -hmm. out of it? Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a broader application to this than just looking at Scripture. Yeah, yeah, very true. And even just personal communication. Yeah. Right? You don't read into things. You don't assume. That's just, I think what they really meant when they said this yeah. was. I think it's helpful to discuss these, though, especially the last one, because I don't think that people often think that they're doing eisegesis when they are. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just this is what I got out of it when I read it, and but that is colored with my own meaning. That and you know we don't always realize that we do that. So mm -hmm. it's very important. To is there a time and place where being eisegetical is appropriate? Because if you're contrasting it with exegetical, does that imply that one is wrong? Yeah, I would say that, that there's not a place when we're interpreting scripture. If, if your no. goal is to know what the author meant, uh -huh. right, you don't want to bring, right, and put meaning in there that wasn't there originally. Okay. Okay, you, when you come to the conversation or when you come to the scriptures, you want to draw out, right? What is being said here, and how can I receive that? We're kind of on the receiving end. Okay. okay. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. And one of the key things here that we would talk about, like imagine you have a, you're trying to interpret what someone's saying. Oftentimes, even in your relationship or your marriage or your friendships, it takes a conversation of clarifying. No, that's not what I meant. No, that's what I meant. Not what I meant. And so we know that we have a tendency to misinterpret words and communication and since that other person is there constantly clarifying right we don't have to go to the work sometimes of really paying close attention to the text but when you have a fixed uh, written record here where you're not able to talk with John or Paul or Moses you have to really pay attention to what did they mean when they wrote it down right? So we're going to do a survey, right? We've got A, B, C, D. We've got several different ways of interpreting Scripture. And so we'll look at a couple brief questions, first of all, and try and lead to, you know, what is our preferred, um, most reliable, most helpful way of using interpretation, okay? So let's look at allegorical. Anybody want to read? Anybody want to read for us? Got some great readers out there. I know who not to call on. I've been warned. Don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. Allegorical. This perspective, widely practiced by some of the church fathers, i.e., Origen, sees the literal meaning of the passage as a jumping off point for a deeper meaning. For instance, I need help with this word. Origen. Origen saw 
the water pots in John chapter 2 that contained the water which Jesus changed to wine as alluding to the scriptures given to purify the Jews. Such insight is given to those granted special grace by Christ to have unique spiritual insight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in this one, you've got the text, right? And there's a meaning there, right? They are actual water pots. And then underneath there is like the hidden. Hidden under, hidden underneath. Right. And so, where's that? Where's that meaning come from? Kind of using this under the school of thought. Who's determining what that that hidden meaning is? The reader. Right. Right. They're they're drawing out something. It's not there. It's not in the words themselves. Right. And so this, right? You can see how this comes straight from the text, and this is coming from right the reader. They're kind of saying. <laughs> Even though it's not seen there specifically, I'm showing you that it actually means this too. Right? Any dangers there? <laughs> Maybe a few, right? Okay. I mean, you can make it mean what you want it to mean. Yeah. Well, that's what the dude that invented like Mormonism did, right? Well, he did a lot of a, a lot of things. Campbell, but yeah, he did find a secret meaning. That's yeah. what's jumping out to me from right. your, your yeah. thing. Sorry. I'm yeah. <laughs> or adding to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that seems yeah. could be bad. Can you guys, yeah, is there other examples? Can you guys think of ever being in a Bible study or someone says, you know, I know the text says this, but it really means. Um, you shouldn't be in that Bible study. What's that? You shouldn't be in that Bible study, yeah. Yeah, like we would have um, in my college ministry like a slaying the giants week. You know, like so what are the giants in your life yeah. that yeah. you need to slay? What are your stones? What are your stones yes. that you're gonna use? Yeah. And you know, it kinda worked for us. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know. And yeah, I remember before the football game, I can do all things through Christ, right? Yeah. That's what that verse is telling me. We're gonna win this football game. Well, it's all over in commentaries too. I mean like the disciples caught 153 fish. What does 153 stand for? Well, you know, like there's mm -hmm. all, I'm, I'm not even kidding. There's like yeah. 20 different ideas of what 153 stands for. And it's like, maybe it's that they counted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, so that each thing has to have something that's not obvious, that's not just what the original meaning says. Right? So. Okay, then we've got devotional. Right, devotional interpretation. Right, that's your, your homework. Uh, Jason, you want to read? Yeah. yeah. The Bible is a rich and wonderful book and should primarily be used to nourish the spiritual life of the believer. Emphasis is placed on the aspects of the Bible which edify their walks with God. Right. So when we got devotional, right, we got the Bible as a text, and it has meaning to the individual. And that's it, right? So what are the, what are some drawbacks to that? Like, is there any time in which you the Bible should apply outside your devotion? Well, some can edify you and don't edify others. Mm -hmm. 
touching all of the Bible or not as authoritative for my yeah. Bible or just the parts which Yeah, when I read my, my devotion, I'm probably not the hardest person on myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if there's a text that's convicting me of something, mm-hmm. am I going to be the one that's going to be the most firm about pointing that out? Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to cherry pick which mm-hmm. verses or passages and then not even take it whatever context mm-hmm. those verses are in. Mm-hmm. 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 And it leaves out a place for learning things that are facts, like historical texts mm-hmm. and Old Testament. Like it j- You just skip Leviticus yeah. or whatever because it's not giving you the inspirational thought of the day. Right. It's mm-hmm. not going to you know, be my word. Right. And it somewhat undercuts just preaching and teaching in general, right? The scriptures, I'm going to get, the Lord's going to show me what I need to get out of the scriptures. I don't need you to teach me or you to preach to me or to share the gospel or to disciple. I just need to read the word, kind of me and Jesus sometimes. So is there any strengths to this view, strengths, weaknesses? We talked about some weaknesses. Always a good thing to nourish the spiritual life of a believer. Like, I mean, and parts of it, the goal is good. It's a good goal Mm -hmm. to devote yourself to. Yeah, and if a person is consistently reading the scriptures, that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. You're hopeful that that's going to lead them to uh, be open to other people speaking into what the scripture means. Well, there are parts of the Bible that are made for, like, the Psalms are literally made to help us to devote ourselves to God, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, our prayer book, it's our, mm-hmm. our hymn book. So to go at those devotionally mm-hmm. can be a really good thing yeah. instead of just like, well, I'm going to look for a chiasm, you know what I mean? Right. So Right. So it's, it's not necessarily that um, the Bible isn't devotional, it's just that this is not the whole piece, right? There's, there's more to interpreting the Bible than just treating it as your devotional, right? It, it is that, but it's more, it's more than that. So then we've got a liberal view, okay? And this is uh, the holds that scripture must be interpreted within the framework of science and reason, right? Human intellect is adequate to sift between truth and error in the Bible, okay? So, for example, how would the liberal interpreter regard the miracles? So imagine they've got here, in the liberal interpretation we have science, reason. So I'm going to add, right, the current science mm-hmm. and their own reason choice, right? So themselves. And then that's over scripture. And then we've got interpretation. Right, like they didn't really happen, they're supposed to, or symbolic of something, right? That can be the danger because of the miracle, for instance, Jesus rising from the dead. Well, he wasn't, he was in a deep sleep coma. He wasn't really dead. Mm -hmm. So that then, I mean, Mm -hmm. that wrecks everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or a version of birth. That also wrecks things. Yeah, I mean, you you can keep pushing like, what is miraculous? I mean, how unusual does something have to be to 
be rejected. And, um, I think even more than that, right? If you think about um, what's uh, when you think about just the formation of the Bible, right? One of the common things when we talked about where we get the Bible, what's a common uh, objection to the Bible being the Word of God? That kind of comes from this mindset. Yeah, it's just a it's just a work of men, right? So there's there's almost a separation. There isn't really any uh, interaction with God. It's just this is the work of, of men. And so uh, I think what what you find is that when there are questions about what it means, right? This is always being changed and adapted to fit whatever this current philosophy or science or reasoning helps them, as well as the person's own viewpoints and desires themselves, right? So this allows for, if something used to be a certain interpretation of scripture, but now that's not popular anymore, now it's very unpopular to have that belief, we can reinterpret, well, there's new science, there's new reason, this actually means something else. Yeah. Um, so it gives the, the freedom to take what you want, make it mean what you want, in a sense. And Oftentimes, uh, the, this discussion will, will be almost, there's almost an assumption here that this is somehow a unified and agreed upon body of truth, where in, in fact you have lots of differing mm -hmm. opinions, scientific opinions, different. And they change with the times. Absolutely. Yeah. They are always changing, yeah. so it's just a new decade of interpretation. Right. Okay, so let's keep going. Plus A, B, and C. Right. And we've got the Neo-Orthodox. Joe, you want to read that one? Call that one. God is a transcendent God who cannot be confined to mere propositional statements. The Bible is not revelation, but a witness to revelation. It is not to be equated objectively with the word of God. The revelation of God is not in words. Jesus Christ is the focal point of God's revelation, and consequently, man meets God in an experiential encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a couple things, a couple things going on there, right? So here, just move, right? So we got the end down here, and it's almost like there's this wall, like that. I got to use my infinity, right? It's so far away. He's so far away. Right, that just can't be related. Or man is just so limited in his ability. He can't understand, right? He can't be, God is transcendent, and he, he can't be, there's no words that can really contain him. And so this, in this view, you've got the word, which helps kind of man to look up, to think about who God is, but it's not really clear. It doesn't, it's not an objective, clearly defined um, truth revealed from God. It kind of clouds the revelation, right? And the way that you interact with God is not just through his word. You have to have this experience with the person of Jesus that isn't necessarily defined by the scriptural, scriptural definition of Jesus. Because, like, if you uh, have this view, you might say, I know that the word testifies to this, but Jesus, or I had this experience with Jesus, and he revealed this to me, or he wanted me to do this, or he has this for me. And so he's kind of not contained within the scriptures. Yeah, the origin of this view is pretty interesting because before this, 
in the um, European Academy, the liberal view is what just completely dominated. And as a result, uh, it just kind of took the, the spirit out of religion because mm -hmm. all these people were being educated to not believe the Bible, mm -hmm. not believe in transcendence, and it was just kind of killing off the church. And a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth basically came in and said, all of that stuff, whether it happened or didn't happen, it really doesn't matter. If you read the Bible and you have a spiritual experience, that's what matters. And so it's kind of a way of kind of sneaking in transcendence yeah. and kind of working around liberal theology yeah. instead of doing like a counterpoint that no, it actually did happen. He said it doesn't matter if it happened. What matters is your encounter with yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So it was actually an attempt to like bring it mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. transcendence, mm -hmm. but it's just not nearly enough. Yeah, and it, it seems like, and I don't know if sometimes you see yeah. people, they, they're turning away or rejecting God, but at some point there's a recognition that, yep. you know, <laughs> it just doesn't make, life doesn't make sense without some recognition. Yeah. That there, there has to be a deity, there has to be, and so people will have this kind of deistic, I believe there's a God, but, right? So there's this kind of trying to hold both at the same time. Yeah. So they don't want to acknowledge that the scriptures are truthful, historical, but they're not willing to go all the way because they've got this, they can't keep that beach ball suppressed under the water. They know that there's a God. Right. And so it's kind of trying to hold on to both. So going from liberalism to New York Orthodoxy is the right direction. It's you know what I'm saying? Right. But it doesn't go far enough. Right. Going from literal to New York Orthodox is the wrong direction. Because it, it acknowledges, okay, God's up here. It's o He's over everything. Yeah. But, but it's mediated through experience, not through the word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A good example would be Alcoholics Anonymous. They recognize the higher power. Yeah. That, that there is there is a there's a higher power that can mm -hmm. give you strength to overcome your addictions. And that's just I mean that's one example of how mm -hmm. society's adopted that. They don't recognize the Bible as authoritative or um, but the higher power can Yeah, and that, that higher power it's kind of melded with a lot of times that subjective whatever your high, higher power is. Um, and I, I get sometimes this view, um, I've had a ex few experiences with, sometimes I've talked to uh, believers, and I remember this one, uh, this younger believer that visited the church, and I said, oh, what did you think? You know, and, and, I, and they said, you know, in the sermon, it just felt like I was, they were telling me how to live my life. <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, there's this, there's this view, like, that the Bible actually tells me something clear that I should obey was foreign to them, like this sense of authority or clarity. And so sometimes that, it's more the, who God is, is based on their experience, which is unique to them, not necessarily clearly uh, defined through the word. A, B, C, D, now we're on to... Everybody's favorite. I don't know. This is the one that I, I seem to run into a lot or the most, talking with um, just adults and students and, and friends from college. So postmodern, right? This view's proponents are skeptical of the reality of absolute truth and suspicious of anyone who claims to know it. And I would say 
Um, many times they'd say they're skeptical of the reality of knowing absolute truth. Oftentimes they'll say there is a truth, right? There's this truth out there that, but you can't, you can't be the one that, you can't know it, right? You're so limited, right? So here's a couple of things, uh, three or four things that they, they would claim, right? We cannot know God's revelation with confidence because we always ascribe meaning to the biblical text, right? That we're unable to keep from being that eisegesis. We, have, we always bring our own perspective, whatever that might be. We, const- we must constantly dialogue with different tra- traditions or theological models to formulate theological constructions that are closer to biblical revelation. So avoid ever arriving at a revelation, but saying you've got to include every single um, possible scenario, possible perspective. Okay? We need to restrict formal or even practical certainty to the Bible's meta-narrative, okay? the master narrative, or the story that makes the story make sense of all the little stories. And then the fourth one says we must discourage or modify or eliminate the positive role of individual understanding. Right? This is because we'll always contaminate meaning with our individual experience. Right. So that's kind of at this heart is that meaning is created in your mind and since you individually are each shaped by your experiences, your background, your culture, your language, all these things, this view is saying you can't really escape that. You're always bringing your own meaning there. So when you think about that role, right? How if a person has that role, how what's their view of God and the, the role of interpretation of scripture? Yeah, he's absent. Well, they're the center of the universe, and God's just out there. Yeah. And that they can tell God how they're going to, if they even acknowledge that there's God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they are essentially their own authority mm-hmm. in life. Yeah. I was going to remark on that. And that's a, yeah, you're just, it's a selfish perspective of that point of view, mm-hmm. essentially. And not obviously contradictory to a lot of. Have you guys ever talked to someone that have had kind of a post you've recognized a postmodern? Yeah, I think it's kind of morphed lately. Like if I were to rewrite this today, it's like this view's proponents are skeptical of reality of absolute truth suspicious of anyone in the oppressor can of or category, right? Mm-hmm. Who claims to know it. And so uh, now it's kind of defined not by individual experience, but by tribal experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, you have, if I, as a white man, were to teach on complementarianism and gender roles, then I would immediately be looked upon with suspicion with mm-hmm. people who disagree with me, where, of course, I'm going to say that mm-hmm. I'm a white man. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't really got into talking about, like, that kind of that Marxist division between mm-hmm. all people are either in the oppressed or the oppressor category. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that viewpoint, it's... Um, it's, even truth itself is viewed as a, just a tool that's used by people in power yes. to, to maintain their power. And so whatever a person is, is the oppressor says can be rejected because they're the oppressor. Mm-hmm. And so your goal is to gain power from the oppressor because you're the oppressed. And it doesn't matter if something's true or not, that's all irrelevant. The only thing that matters is power. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a newer version of this rejection of 
Well, is that true or not? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm oppressed by you, and, and you have the power, and so you're just using that as an argument to, to maintain. I think the difficulty prior to the kind of critical theory turn of this is that there is, there's a lot of truth in the postmodern oh, yeah. assumptions, right? That we do read from a cultural context, mm -hmm. from an educational background, from mm -hmm. whatever, and we bring our assumptions to a test, yeah. right? There's no person on earth after, I don't know, maybe, uh, probably no person who's ever known everything perfectly and understand, understood correctly, mm -hmm. everything that's in the scripture, right? Yeah. Other than Jesus himself. Right. And all of us are missing the boat somewhere, and we're all trying to get closer and closer to God's meaning. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that someone is not more true, more correct than someone else, yeah. right? And that yeah. there's no way to know for sure what's mm -hmm. true and what's not true, and yeah. all of those things. And that the consensus of the church through millennia on so many issues is um, a test to the fact that postmodernism is not true. We can know truth. Mm -hmm. You know, we can agree right. on yeah. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about a lot more is what does it mean to know something um, and how can we know it and, and how can we go from having no knowledge to having some knowledge to having a, 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 an interpretation that may not be perfect but is better than another interpretation. Those are some really um, important questions. I thought let's pause for a second and open your Bibles. Let's look at um, First Corinthians. And we'll look, look at chapter 2. So Paul's been writing to Corinth, and he talks in the first part of chapter 2 about how we came, and he was preaching, knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says his speech was not with plausible words of wisdom, having a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Okay? So, starting in verse 6 here, he's talking about the role of the Spirit. Because in postmodern, there's really no role of God in that interpretation. Okay? So starting in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul really lays out, as a natural person, we can't understand who God is. right? And he talks about the role of the Spirit. He says that in verse 10, he says, uh, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
He says again, he, he uh, reminds us that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And he says in 12, we have received the Spirit, not of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. And so when we approach interpretation, we have to come recognizing that it's not just an academic, like, use these rules type of thing. Right? If we have a person who is not born again and who is an enemy of God, and they use the correct rules of interpretation, it's good, they're going to be constantly butting up against that natural blindness that they have to the scripture. And so we need the assistance. Here he says, um, we're taught by the Spirit, and we have the mind of Christ. So it's that mind of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit within us, that allows us to really use these in a way that will not let us be tainted in such a way that our own... Um, subjective bias is like the thing that rules out, yeah. right? The spirit is constantly like helping us to sweep that away as it comes to a truth. Scott? Yeah? So a question I have with that, a lot of times the over-spiritual, there's like a fuzzy line there of people that are over-spiritual. Um, so obviously you're talking about like a legit spirit helping you, mm-hmm. but like there's been times in people that I've talked to of like, well, the spirit's told me this, Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to argue, mm-hmm. not, not even argue, but like it's hard to discuss. But like that's not what the Bible says. But you know, the spirits told me this, or even like different. I, I went to visit a buddy, and his pastor was, you know, the spirit told me that Sheila was going to be here this morning, and oh. I feel her. Like just, yeah. I mean, just crazy things that. Right. It's hard to discern what the spirit's telling you at times, and so how do you help or understand that better? Yeah, I think. I think the role of the Word and the Spirit together are kind of where that question. Right? That God has revealed Himself, the way that He's chosen to reveal Himself is through the Word. And so that if you're going to be relying on the Spirit, right, the Spirit is going to choose to reveal truth to you, specific truth, through the Word. And so if you if the Spirit revealed to me this, you might, okay, so. And how did the Spirit do that? What scriptures did the Spirit use to do that? And you could point to scriptures that refer to how God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ or through the apostles, through their writings, to saying that that's how God has chosen to reveal himself, other than saying, kind of getting to that topic of like special revelation and does revelation occur and why it has. I'm just thinking like when you're studying the Bible, like even just at home, That's even a hard discernment of, okay, the Spirit's revealed this to me, and it's meaning to me that I've never seen before, or I've never understood that about this passage. How do you discern that even? Yeah, I, I think what I want to rely on is we don't want to put our weight on the Spirit. We want to put our weight on the Word and trust that the way that the Spirit's going to reveal Himself and speak is through the Word. So if you're struggling to understand what the Spirit's saying, the best thing to do is to study the word more completely because that's the way the Spirit is going to speak clearly to you. And so if I have a verse or a text, passage that I've read, a paragraph, say, in the, in the Gospels or whatever, and I don't understand it, the best way for the Spirit to clarify what it means is to study that passage, to read more of Scripture, to see what is the background. That's kind of what we're going to get into in terms of interpretation. How do you interpret a verse or a text? What do you do? Do you look at who the author is? All these methods of interpretation are like the means by which 
the Spirit's going to clarify what he means. Yeah, I think the Spirit and the Word are never in conflict with each other. Right. So if the Holy Spirit is supporting, mm -hmm. you know, the Lord, and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit wrote the Word, then the Holy Spirit's not going to violate the words that we have. Yeah. The right. Yeah. You know, it, it, to me, it's like if I'm trying to read in the dark, right? The words are still there, but the Spirit illumines what those words mean. So it brings light. Oh, okay, that's what that means. So I'm not relying on the Spirit to just shine into me this meaning. I'm allowing him to point out in, through the words what those, what those words mean. So what do you call that? Like if, say, a pastor said, you know, go slay your Goliath today. And, I mean, obviously that's not what the text is saying. Right. But it's not against the Bible. Like that's not, I mean, well, go and, you know, live for Christ today and, you know, slay the sin. Like that's, that's a biblical thing, right? And so... The Bible's not against that, but that's obviously not what the passage is. I'm not trying right. to like yeah. you a bunch of questions. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, no, that's like, that's what we want, right? We want, to, <laughs> we want to grow. Well, like, if there's a difference between it's the right idea from the wrong text and it's the wrong idea for like period, right? So if it's in conflict with anything in scripture, then it's just wrong and he's a false teacher and should get out of the way. If it's right idea, wrong text, then he has and is teaching a bad hermeneutical style that's going to get you in trouble eventually, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, but there's a difference in, like, severity mm -hmm. of that bad teaching. And I think that ideally, right, if, I, if it's someone that, it, I mean, the context would, would make a difference, but ideally, every conversation should point, your goal is to point people back to what God says in the Word. So, if they're saying something that is a is a wrong interpretation the only cure for a, a wrong interpretation is to bring the right one so you can't reject wrong for wrong you have to say well why why would you say the text says this because it seems like it's saying right it seems to be a historical account and narrative and you talk about where are you getting this why are you doing this and I've, I've heard a lot of pastors do that when they talk about they have different views on revelation you know why are you saying here it's it's allegorical and here it's literal right and they're talking through those decisions. Mm -hmm. Why is it a metaphor here and not here? Mm -hmm. And that's those are the most helpful things because you're challenging each other to have a consistent way of interpreting the scripture and pointing out when it looks like you're kind of being inconsistent here because you're using allegory, allegory, and then all of a sudden it's literal. So those questions that point you back to the text are the most helpful things, both for you and the person that you're, mm -hmm. you're confronting like this also points out the danger of studying scripture in isolation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I mean, it's oh, important yeah. to both sharpen one another, and I mean, if there really is just a glaring difference, and you know, you, you go to someone, you seek counsel, and uh, there is, there are so many dangerous people out there with the Bible that are, that never have any sharpness. Yeah, and we want to avoid kind of the right, 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 teaching with, from the wrong scripture. We want to avoid just being dogmatic in the sense that I know the Bible says this and I believe it. Well, make sure you know why the Bible says that, right? You should be able to invite people to say, I'm happy to talk with you about what the scriptures mean because that conversation could lead you both to help them understand it in a deeper way as well as yourself, right? And sometimes you may run into some that after a few conversations you realize they're not really interested in finding out what the scripture means. 
it's kind of a it takes may take a little bit, but you start to recognize when the more blatant than just the rejection of you know something obvious you know in scripture that okay they've totally it says that you know Jesus said I am the way the truth and life I think what he really means is that always mm-hmm. right well that's kind of hard to mm-hmm. have a conversation I think that Andy's asking a good question about <clears throat> why we need to study the Bible a lot why we need to read it why we need to understand things because if you do that you end up with what I call the jar principle that just ain't right you know when somebody challenges you with something, right. or you hear something, or you read something, and the Spirit has enlightened you to the Bible, and you know it well, mm-hmm. <clears throat> not just kind of, it's something you've done for 40 or 50 years, you know, yeah. and been in Bible studies and been to church, you just know when something doesn't sound right. And I think that's what the Spirit is doing, it's mm-hmm. enlightening you to something yeah. that's trying to get you off the track. Yeah. And then you can go back to the Word and say, no, I know why that's not right. right. Mm-hmm. Because this is what the Bible actually yeah. says. Mm-hmm. Very much. And those, the more points of contact you have with different scriptures that work together, gives you the opportunity to know, and the Spirit will drop on, okay, this is the verse that mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to share, or read this passage, or mm-hmm. this book, or whatever. Can I go back to the... Let's go back. postmodern... Yes. So, because I'm a baby boomer at the end of the baby boomer boomer age, I I have really seen kind of this progression, probably started in the 60s, of people not wanting anyone over at 40. Mm -hmm. And just the most difficult, and and the breakdown of family. I mean, there's just been all kinds of things Mm -hmm. lead to this place where people are now. Right. They are the center of the universe. And just being able to break through and say the scriptures are authoritative. Mm-hmm. There is someone who created you. <laughs> you know, just you have to break through that wall. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially, and I'm not, I mostly because I am now retired, but trained a lot of 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. And just <laughs> getting them to the place of Okay, I am in authority over you. I might have a little more experience than you, so mm-hmm. learn from me. Yeah. Um, so, and but and you have to get there with the scriptures. That God has something to teach you. He is. He was your. He was your creator. He made you. And just breaking through that wall of not wanting someone in authority over them. And oftentimes that's. What I find, and, and not, it's not always this way, but we, when you talk to people who are believing a lie that they've told themselves, right, they're intentionally trying to wall off some truth. And so when you're breaking through that wall, you're exposing them to something that they, they somewhat know is true, but they've lied enough to themselves that they, they aren't willing to, like, I don't think I want to believe that, because they know it kind of crumbles everything. You know, and in John reminds me of when um, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in chapter three, and he talks about him coming into the world to save the world, and he talks about how um, this is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things does wicked things, hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
but whoever does what is true comes to the light. So you're breaking through, bringing the light of Scripture, right, and uh, looking for those who are going to come to the light, to come and receive the light. I think I can count myself very fortunate. I am of an age to where I, the baby boomer era started after I was of the age to be called a baby boomer. I was born in an age where people respected their elders, they respected their parents. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, but most people went to church on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Um, Our worst drug, the main Mm -hmm. drug was actually alcohol or cigarettes instead of all this other stuff. And so, and it was before family started just breaking to pieces. Mm -hmm. And I can tell, you know, it's not a good thing when family, there is no family togetherness. Yeah, and I think one of the things you point out, and and I've heard this sometimes in in the setting of like a scholarly debate, say a Christian apologist and an atheist, many times they'll bring up, you know, your objection is a moral objection. You're, you're rejecting what I'm saying as truth because you, you're des- you don't want that to be true, right? It gets in the way of you doing or believing something that, some desire that you have. And so those, the broken families, the drugs and the sex of the 60s and all those things, those desires, right, they cut off that ability to have an interpretation because as the scriptures, right, if we hate the light because our works are evil, we'll run from from the light. And so it's really a, an act of God to transform all of our hearts that were running away from him and reveal the truth of scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really it involves the work of God more than sometimes we acknowledge when we read the scriptures. Okay, we'll just introduce it and then we'll really get into it next time. Okay, so let's kind of wrap it up by F here, right? F is literal. Right? Also known as a literal grammatical historical method. So one arrives at the meaning of a passage by a normal reading of scripture. We read the Bible like we read the newspaper, taking into account its grammar, its syntax, the historical background, etc. Um, not necessarily meaning wooden literalism, meaning that Jesus was a door, right? We allow for things like figurative language, metaphors, hyperbole, analogies, parables, Right? We allow the text to mean what it was supposed to mean, to be written in a variety of ways, a variety of styles, by a variety of authors, a variety of language. And so that's going to be um, kind of the method that we want to use, is that literal meaning. What did the author mean and allow them to write in whatever way they chose that the Holy Spirit inspired them? And then we, our goal is to discern and interpret what they meant. Okay. All right, well, let me pray for us, and we'll continue next week. Lord, we've talked about many things, and many times I feel as the disciples who were dull and didn't know what you meant had to come to you asking, what do you mean? What did you mean when you said this? And I'm so thankful that you are patient, that you're gracious, and that you have given us of your Holy Spirit.
And I'm thankful for the way your Holy Spirit speaks to us and illuminates what the scriptures mean as we read it. I pray for each one of us that we would know that you are desiring and waiting to reveal to us who you are, what your desires are, how we can know you better through studying your word, through studying who you are revealed throughout history, who Jesus is through reading about what he said, what he taught, what he did, and following through with the disciples and how they continue to share his teaching. I pray that each one of us would uh, be willing and ready to reject um, poor methods of interpretation that we've used in the past and seek to improve so that we might better understand you for what you want to say and continue to strip away our own uh, personal biases that want to um, color the scriptures to mean something differently. I pray that you help us continually to encourage and build one another up as we study your word together as a class through Bible studies on Sunday morning. And pray that we would know that you've given us your word so that we might have everything that pertains to life and godliness through a knowledge of you who have called us. We give you thanks. Ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.